1: Wipe that rain of frogs out of your eyes, everyone. It's time for another episode of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship. I am joined by the symbolic, metaphorical, and surprisingly emotional Sarah D. <laughs> Sniff! Hello. <laughs> and we are at an episode that ends with zero, and as per the dictates of the gods, it is time to rank the songs on an album. And Sarah, tell us which album we will be ranking today.
2: We will be ranking the soundtrack to the major motion picture, Magnolia, uh, which is largely... Comprised, uh, you know what? I don't think I'm using that word correctly, but let's just keep going. Um, comprised of songs by Ms. Amy Mann, who is uh, one of our spirit animals here at Market Sarah Talk About Songs. Um, I am a huge fan. Uh, I've been a fan since I think I was reading back when I used to subscribe to Spin Magazine. Um, kids, ask your parents uh they recommended her second solo album i'm with stupid i got it Mm. i listened to it um i am married to it in some cultures i went out and got her previous solo album and i've been a big fan and um, prompt purchaser of her material ever since um magnolia of course was a movie by paul thomas anderson um fairly well regarded i think still 20 years later. Yeah.
1: Um and exactly 20 years in fact because it was the like fall summer of 99 that that movie yeah, came out. Yeah.
2: So um and then notoriously this was her loss to Phil Collins, yeah, at the Oscars. Yes, okay. this
1: is she lost the Oscar to You'll Be in My Heart mm, from Tarzan yeah, by Phil Collins. Yeah. You'll be
2: up my butt. Um You and the Girls Bike Club. Um yeah. Anyway, uh, this was also the period when, like, she was weirdly showing up on, like, WB shows. Like, I think her record company was, like, really trying to sort of make her a thing with the kids. I, I don't know. Like, she was like... um she was coming off stage of a, like on a Buffy episode and she's like, I hate playing these vampire towns.
1: (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, The story too, of her relationship to this film is I think so interesting because Paul Thomas Anderson was a friend of hers before he was making Magnolia. uh, And she was sending him demos because she was feeling, as I understand it, very frustrated by her record label. Mm. And they were telling her that the album she was making wasn't going to be commercial enough and she was getting frustrated. But when Paul Thomas Anderson heard some of the demos, he used them as inspiration for the movie Magnolia. So when the character played by Melora Walters says, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? That is a paraphrase of a lyric from a song that we'll be talking about later. And So Amy Mann's music became integral to the entire story of this sprawling, I think, incredible film. And this album was so successful, and the movie was so successful, that it, I feel, repositioned Amy Mann as this leader of the alt-indie folk rock movement, and it completely eliminated the need for her to try to appeal to the teens Mm. because this album, which is ultimately kind of a weird album became a massive seller and she's been doing her Amy Mann thing ever since. And now the TV shows that she appears on are like Portlandia, Mm. which just makes more sense.
2: Um, Yeah. I would, I think that there is definitely a book, you know, that book um, it was about basically like the 70s mid to late seventies music scene in LA And it was like, it was called something like Everybody's Coming to the Canyon. I think I bought it for you for some occasion. But it's just like the story of someone living downstairs from Jackson Brown and being really fucking sick of him noodling, uh, running on empty for like two months. Do you know the book I'm talking about? I don't, actually. Um, All right, well, then I will get
1: you a copy, but because you (laughs) need it in your life, even though... Oh, I forgot to tell you, actually, I got that 80s book in the mail that you sent me the uh, the other day. Have you been enjoying that? Yeah,
2: I thought you would. I Yes. Um, Anyway, sidebar, sorry, listeners. Um, But I think there's definitely a book about the scene, like, 20 years after that, in sort of like the mid to late 90s turn of the millennium. This, like... um, Scene with like all these LA people, like Amy Mann, her frequent collaborator John Bryan, um, Michael Penn, his brother. Fiona Apple gets in there, yeah, I Yeah, exactly. That it's like, I think all of these people were um, sort of feeding off each other in this way mm. that was, you know, really interesting and very. There are just certain projects that have this L.A. feeling to them that, like, I recognize it while, as a New Yorker, not entirely understanding it. Mm. Um, I've also spent most of the weekend watching the fifth season of Bosch, and I'm feeling like I've marinated in this L.A. noir property that Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, sometimes you see a lot of that. In his work, I'm not a super fan of his, but my opinion of him definitely ticked up like 15 notches when he decided to bring Amy Mann this closely into his process.
1: But I have to say, I am a massive Paul Thomas Anderson fan. He is someone whose films I will go see... Under any circumstances, no matter what the films are about. And admittedly, the last film of his that I loved passionately was Magnolia. I mean, Well, no, that's not true. There will be blood. Uh, So I I haven't loved his films post There Will Be Blood as much. But I think that Magnolia is such a wonderful movie. And I remember so clearly going to see it and leaving the theater and saying, oh, it was during the Christmas break of 1999. That's when this had to have been because I was in college, but I was home. And I left the theater with my friends and I said, I feel like I just saw something important like, I, just because the movie was so emotionally epic and so brilliantly layered with all of this metaphysical and metaphorical content. And it rewarded close attention. I remember being so excited when I just happened to notice in the background of a scene that there was a guy holding a biblical verse and it was clearly for me and not for the scene itself. And that something about the authorial intent ripping through the screen to speak to the audience made me so excited. That kind of thing still makes me really excited. And The way that the music is fused into the movie, as we'll discuss more thoroughly when we get to a certain song on this album, Mm. I just found so thrilling. And I have such great memories of this album and this film. And I bought, of course, the album. I bought the film. I think of it as one of the cultural highlights of the 90s for me. I tend to find his work
2: affected in ways that take me out of it. But I think it's a testament to this movie and the music in it that even though, like, I didn't see this movie until it it was like out on video, whatever. Um, So I knew like everything that was coming and what to expect. But the fact that there is this like performative, um, somewhat artificial braiding of that one song in to the film, and it's still extremely affecting. Um, and that, even though it is not like s- stuff that is not naturalistic and organic, does not tend to be my thing. Like, David Lynch is really difficult <laughs> for me to like I- integrate with, if that makes any sense, like emotionally.
1: Well, and I have to say, sidebar, you did such a good job of distilling the David Lynch problem in our Lizzo episode. Mm. Just a little bonus nugget. Um, carry on.
2: Thank you. Um, I rewatched the um, Wise Up scene on mm. YouTube, mm-hmm. and on top of, like, it, it does have a certain... um. Power and you know I could drag in the whole like grand unifying theory of like, Wordsworth's preface to Lyrical Ballads, talking about how song was the original communicative speech. I I mean I just did, but I won't go any further with it. I will say that the number of um actors in these scenes who are no longer with us, like oh god, layers. It really hard it, oh my watch. god, that was horrible. Especially like Robards, I was just like man. With Philip Seymour yes. Hoffman. Oh my God. Anyway, and like some of these people have been gone for a while now, but it was still like, yeah. oh my God, like where like when are we in the in the culture? Like the veil sort of thinned. I don't know, it was it was neat to revisit it. I wasn't able to rewatch the whole movie.
1: Who's got seven hours? That movie's so long. Oh my god. <laughs> it, really, it really I will is. just before we get to the songs, I will say, I love the way that you just talked about that, and as is probably not surprising to you or anyone who's been listening to us yammer on for three and a half years now, <laughs> I fucking love performative things. That's like my key aesthetic uh taste is things that feel like they are constructing a performance for me to watch. And then perhaps watch get disassembled. And when I was at the movies, I had no idea what was going to happen at Magnolia because it was the opening right. weekend. And when they suddenly, and what I had forgotten about, I mean, we're just talking about it now when, what I had forgotten about wise up is that it starts in a way that seems diegetic, meaning the music seems like it would occur organically mm. in the scene yep. with Melora, singing along to the radio, it seems like. And then suddenly they cut. he cuts to every other person in the movie and they're all communally singing this song together. And there's no real clarity on whether or not they are actually singing it or we're actually just seeing a manifestation of their shared emotional state. And I just about passed out in the theater. I was so excited by it. And I love the fact that we don't know for sure if this is meant to be literal singing or illustrative singing and i actually think that that is a pretty good way of getting us into amy Mann's approach to the music in this on this album Mm. because there is a i think nice balance between the observational and the lived in the music itself Mm.
2: uh All right. Well, let's get into it. But before we do, uh, in case you're new here, just a reminder that this is how we conduct (laughs) ranking episodes. Uh, We rank the entire album. In this case, we just did the songs, Uh, all the songs, not just Amy Mann. But we didn't do the like ready for round two, like performative, uh, not performative, um, spoken, interstitial bits. bits. Um, So that means that there are 13 tracks on this album. Um, We will talk about each one in album order, and then uh, announce our rankings. So, for instance, one is first, and if that were my number one uh, choice, it would get 13 points. If it were my number 13 choice, it would get one point. Patreon supporters also helped us rank this album, and they will get a numerical ranking. Um, we're terrible at explaining this, given that we've done it, like, 15 times, but it will all become <laughs> clear as we go along. At the end, we have, like, the the totals, Mark will do a little arithmetic, and then we will have our um, fresh magnolia blooms and our dead magnolia blooms. I don't, I don't know what metaphorical framework we're going to use for this. Who could say? Shall we begin? Yes, let's. All right. Um, The first album, uh, the first album, Jesus. Uh, The first song on the album is, as I mentioned, One, uh, which is the cover of the Three Dog Night song. We don't have a clip for this. Um, I really liked this more than I remembered liking it, because I like how the stripped down arrangement, I mean, comparatively, comparatively it's not it's not all that stripped down uh it points up the um dampness of the original lyric and it also mm. lets the there are certain i would say 90s affectations of instrumentation present throughout this album that are n- not off-putting they're just very 90s um that uh, like they they're an interesting twist on the very sort of late sixties feel of the original. Um, And I think it's a, I think it's a pretty successful cover that is a little ironic about its coverage, but not too ironic. What did you think?
1: Uh, Yeah, I had grown up very familiar with the original because three dark night is one of my mother's favorite bands. And I remember the time when I learned that Harry Nilsson wrote this song. Oh, yeah. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I think that this is a great cover. And I think that she recorded it originally for a Harry Nilsson tribute album. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- I, the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of really good songs on <laughs> <in> this album. <laughs> Here and, we go
2: with the usual, like, someone has to be an eighth.
1: <laughs> yeah. And but because this is a cover... I just felt like I could safely give it a lower ranking because it doesn't need me. (laughs) So, I think this is a... I would never, ever, ever, ever skip this. I think it's great. I think that her vocal performance is really great. I still put it in 10th place and gave it four Mm. points. I had it... Which also should be a sign of how much I like this album overall.
2: um, I had it in eighth with six points, but... I I roughly agree. Um, I think that it's a wise choice to begin the album with this song because you do have, like, the text of the film is in part about, like, child stars and things that happened in the past. So uh, I think it's um, advisedly crafted and positioned. It's just not my favorite thing.
1: And the patrons agreed with you. They also put it in eighth place and gave it six points. I will tell you now, there are a lot of ties, this week from the patrons uh but every song did get at least one vote and one of the songs that landed in eighth place was one great I mean so or n- eight next great um next is one of the songs that we do have a clip of I pulled a clip of momentum so let's listen to that
0: for the sake of effort expended, all those minutes and days and hours I've bled away. And I know life is getting shorter. I can't bring myself to set the scene in. even.
1: I love this song so much. It's so funky, jazzy. There's so much energy in it. The musical... Uh, quality of the song I find very alluring. It's like being at the best, smokiest nightclub ever. And I always imagine that Amy Mann sings it while wearing a beret that has a little black veil coming down in front of her eyes. Mm. I don't know why. That's just where I am with it. I love the line, I'm condemning the future to death so it can match the past. If that, if you want a single line that can sum up Amy Mann's general emotional state in her music, that's certainly a good candidate, I think that this uh, this song shows how dexterous she is as a vocalist, because she really has a very elastic sound here. I mean, she's got the growling, she's got the high notes, she's got those sort of long, smoky, oh, like, come hither, I'm in a German nightclub and everyone is dressed like a sadder <laughs> shit going on. I just love it, Sarah. I love this song. I love it.
2: Well... We had a good run. Um, <laughs> and this thus ended Thus ended... Mark and Sarah's best. I was concerned that you had pulled this clip because you did like the song. I don't completely hate it, but it's... It <laughs> classic mark and sarah the things that you like about it i don't like (laughs) i hate the intro i hate it it seems extremely like cynical and chaotic for its own sake and it's like everything about a fiona apple intro that i would not like also it it feels not felt to me um it's Mm. it It's like a long network note from someone that was like, well, your usual shit is too depressing and we need a single. Uh, The instrumentation is, I don't know, like it's, you know, it's like this proof of concept thing. Like I am competent in an upbeat song. It just feels insincere. And I don't think it actually is. I just don't, I just don't care for it. Like everything that you said is true. The vocal is very dexterous. There is there is good lyricism in here. It's just not... Like, the things about it that are Broadway jazzy are not going to be for me. So, it mm. was not last, but it was close. Number 12, two points. Sorry, buddy. Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, but again, I any if Amy man records a song that sounds like it belongs in a Weimar cabaret, <laughs> I think of the two of us, I'm the one that's going to like it the that's most. I think that's an fair.
2: extremely solid guess.
1: Yes. <laughs> Prediction um, has the force worth, of law. Um I'm about I'm going to give my point ranking and then the patrons but then there's a little side story that i would like to tell related to a listener and what they told us about this song that led to us getting a phone number and i think we can talk about all of that and right yes. after this um i put this song in second place mm. and gave it 12 okay points. canceled
2: each other out. You know, it's been, okay
1: i feel like it's been a long time since we've had a good old just wildly disparate I, when I we get that, uh, to the
2: non-Amy Mann songs, shit is going <laughs> to get crazy. <laughs> okay?
1: <laughs> oh, God.
0: Oh, I'm nervous but excited. Okay.
1: Um. So I put it in second place and gave it 12 points. The patrons put it in fifth place and huh. they gave it uh, nine That is points. interesting
2: because I really did feel also like this song was either going to be one of those tracks where you respond to it or you're like, nah. So it's interesting that they were more in the middle with it. Yeah, you did say there were a lot of ties, though. So anyway,
1: uh, so we have a listener named Dan, not your husband. Uh, yeah, who he doesn't listen he to this. Just jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Dan is great. Um, he emails. We email uh, a bit, quite a bit about some of the songs that we talk about, and he had this epic story about how Magnolia is one of his favorite soundtracks, and seeing the trailer for this movie also introduced him to Amy Mann's music for the first time and thus sent him down a lifelong path of loving her. And he says that along with Prince, Amy Mann is one of his favorites. But then he adds, but here's my slight issue. I have seen her upwards of 12 times and not once has she ever played Momentum. I even annoyingly free birded it at some of her shows, but she has never played it. I got to meet her briefly once outside the paradise in Boston when she played in her band with Ted Leo, the both. I even have a great picture with her, which he attached. And it is a great picture. Um, however, being so starstruck, I forgot to ask her about the songs, which I had always planned to do and forgot and didn't do when I had the chance. Hopefully the next time I get the chance, I will ask her why she never plays it live until then. I will go see her over and over until the dream finally comes true. Mm. And, uh, I think that's a great story, and oh, he then he adds, but there's a spoil, there's a twist, uh, or the sting, as he called it. Uh, earlier this year, he traveled to New York City to see a show at Jazz at Lincoln Center of Martha Plimpton doing songs by Amy Mann and relating them to current presidents, and it was called All the Presidents. I was Man. at that
2: show with listener Mike Dunn. What the fuck? Holy shit! Oh, we weren't at Lincoln Center so, though; we were at um, Joe's Pub,
1: but we did see oh, that. Well, show. What I, uh, so. Apparently, she opened the show that Dan saw at oh. least with momentum. No, and so he was like, "How ironic that I've seen Martha Plimpton perform this song, but not Amy Mann." That is
2: ironic. Oh my gosh, Dan, continue writing to us because I think we need to. Um, I think we need to have a convocation about that show. Uh, do you want to mention our phone number
1: while we're here? Yes. Yes. Also, I think it's crazy that possibly you guys were both in the same room, or at least saw the same yeah, show. Yeah, I That's mean, wild. Joe's Pub is not um, big, so. So when Dan initially reached out, he actually he asked if there was a voicemail box that we had where he could just tell us this sure. story because it was so twisty and epic, and we were like, no. But then Sarah, you were like, maybe we should have a number. So you got us one.
2: I did. I, I forget what it is though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I believe either. it is six four six three eight nine zero pop because I spent that... some time like running these through to get an acronym that was like talk or song or mark or even with a C. I was like, please something. Best I could do was zero pop. So I think it's six four six three eight nine zero pop.
1: It is. I just found it. I just found it. So, yes, if you would like to, listeners, call us and leave us a message that we could then later play on the podcast, just leave us a message at 646 um, 389
2: And if you We've don't, tested it if you just out, want to talk to us, but you don't want it on the podcast, just make a note either way. But we would love to do like a, whatever, listener voicemail bag episode sometime. That would be super fun. So, call us.
1: Agreed. So, please do. Um, Now, moving on. It is time for the song Build That Wall. Um, We don't have a clip for this. I'm glad we don't. I hate this song. Mm. It's the one true dump of a song, I think, from any man on this album. I really, really do not like it. It's so simpering. Mm and the metaphor is so obvious like you build that wall and it keeps me out <laughs> i just think it's such a it is just all the worst of amy man just the the mopiness, the the airy the plinking quality of the sink yeah just, i think there's ugh. also a piccolo yeah probably i feel like it's possible that you know someone has performed that? this song Fuck out of here with that
2: <laughs> <laughs> thanks buddy ah, crozier <laughs> crozier
1: so i feel like it's possible this song has been danced to by someone dressed like a wood elf oh yeah so i put it in 11th place and gave it three points
2: same Um, yeah, this is just a filler track. Like listening to this for these purposes, there were a couple of tracks in here that I was like, these are all kind of samey, but this was like the most like aggressively filler flowery. My attention Mm -hmm. wandered off halfway and I stopped taking notes because I didn't care. Um, I don't hate the vocal. It just doesn't get... It doesn't get in my head the way, like, what I think of as typical Amy Mann does, where it's working on you on two tracks, it's working on you orally, and then the lyrics are sort of, uh, like, accumulating their power as you go along. This one's just a snooze. So, yeah, 11th place, three points.
1: And the the listeners put it in the exact same Mm -hmm. place. So, that's 11th place across the board for Build That Wall – but Sarah, you do have a clip for the next song.
2: I do. Uh, this one is Deathly. Uh, this is, I think, a much more typical, uh, so to say. This is like the most typical Amy Mann track that we hear by this point in the, in the soundtrack. So let's hear the clip, and then we can discuss. Because
0: I'm just a problem for you to solve and watch dissolve. Of your charm But what will you do when You run it through and You can't get me Back on the farm
2: This song is probably also a little too long, but I love it. Um, I know every single little, like, guitar twang um, that's going to happen. I love singing along with it, even though uh, this is, like, the song... uh, Not apotheosis. Like, if you had to pick one song that's, like, this is what those commercials mean when they say that depression makes you physically hurt... (laughs) (laughs) that's this song um and and yet it's beautiful so it also has that capital r romantic combination of the like the beauty of desolation that's a lot to put on a pop song but girlfriend can take it and that's why i put it in second place with 12 points
1: i also love this song i think that It actually takes me back to, I feel like, maybe our fourth episode when we talked about Mazzy Star. Oh, yeah. Taking it way back. It's just one of those songs that manages to be slow the entire time but never feel lugubrious. Yes. And there is such an emotional and instrumental build in the song, despite that same drawn-out tempo, that I really like it. It's like... You just keep burrowing down, 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 Mm. and the emotional power comes from being even more direct about the pain. Yeah. And I I think that there aren't that many artists who would ever even write a song like this.
2: Yeah. I mean, even that clip, I was like, it is not possible to cut this down any further and still have it
1: illustrate anything. So... Yeah. I just feel like it, it just in a way this song is, I think, um, brave because it's five minutes long, it's very slow and very sad, and she just expects you to pay attention to her. And it is so different, I think, from Build That Wall, which is forgettable. This song is slow and pretty and insistently insists upon my attention. Yeah. There's there's such a, there's such a like life in it even though it is on paper potentially a song that you would just hear in the background.
2: Yeah, no no no, it maintains tension, which over 5 minutes like usually like that's something that I'm going to clock like this should have been 332. This one is just right.
1: So, please know that when I say that I put this song in fifth, which is what I did, that it is because I think there are pretty much um six songs on this album that are indispensable. Mm. And I put this song in fifth only because I do think it would be even better if it were 30 seconds shorter. Mm. And that was the kind of hair splitting I was having to do at this point. Um I did say that there were a lot of ties from the patrons, mm-hmm. but there was not a tie for first. There was a clear front runner, and that is Deathly was huh. number one for the patrons. Interesting. Okay. So so, that's nine points from me, 13 points from the patrons, and 12 points from you. Yeah, I
2: guess we're not maintaining tension on this particular point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see.
2: Uh,
1: so, that now brings us to... Oh, hold on. While I'm totting up this figure, do you want to tell us about the next song? Sure. The
2: next song is actually my fifth place finisher, and that's Driving Sideways. Um, my notes read, this is the song Momentum Should Be. Um the lyrics are a bit sophomoric. Like the driving metaphor maybe needs to just be retired for a period of three to five years from pop music. Like we get it (laughs) issues of control. We got it. Um, this is like, this song is like what, um, like they, they sort of put it in a jar and sealed it and added some hops to it. And then when they poured it, it was red vines. I don't like, I don't know. Uh, it is lyrically a bit broad and a bit pleased with itself, but I think that it's more effective than some of the similar um, tonally similar songs on the album, and that's why I put it uh, in fifth. I do think that this serves the film in a way that is overt, but I don't have a problem with that. Like I, I don't, I don't mind seeing the seams
1: there. So yeah, fifth place. Um, The patrons put it in eighth place, giving it six points. And, uh, Sarah, you might remember that when we were IMing about our rankings on this this week that I mentioned that my rankings were surprising me. I said the same, yes. I have this song in first. Really? And I didn't... It feels right. For days, it has felt right. And I have... For whatever reason, more than any other song on this album for the last 20 years, this is the one that is the most likely to come to my mind unbidden. Hmm. And I have never... Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know what it is about it. It's just... Well, I actually do. I've thought about it a lot in the last few days. So I do know a couple of things. Um, and it's ironic that my... When I pulled my clips for this episode, I didn't yet realize that this was going to be my first play song or I would have pulled a clip of this. But I didn't. So here we are. But one of the things I love is... Uh, the way that she sings the word overdrive in the, the third verse and, and put it in overdrive. I don't know if you could call that up in your mind, but
2: <laughs> it's so just like juicy the way oh, she yeah, sings there's it. There's like seven syllables in the word overdrive. It's,
1: yeah, it's well done. And I also love, um, by the time that we get to the final chorus, when she hits that high note on hitting scan on the radio, I just love that. I think it's so charming but most importantly it's the the insistent catchiness of the chorus of driving sideways well i'm not going to sing it for you but i just find that the chorus is so sticky and to me uh though i do take your point that the car metaphor we get it boo i drove all night to get to you oh yeah uh, that's not her fault little deuce coupe like but no but you're right like the, the car metaphor the driving metaphor she's been worn thin yeah thinner than the leather seats on which all teenagers in car songs have screwed on mm. since time immemorial. <laughs> um, and yet, for me, I, I really I really like it. And for me, this it really works because there's just something about you've convinced yourself that you're going forward with your life, that you're making a lot of progress, and that you're such a badass that you are racing into your future. You're confident, you're arrogant, and what you don't realize is that you're completely wrong. And you have no idea that you are fucking it up and you're sitting next to someone. Your companion will not help you to navigate for fear she may be wrong. That to me is such a nice distillation of how women and frankly men can find themselves Trapped in relationships where they are afraid to say anything because their partner is so overconfident and they have confidence issues that they're just in this car hurtling in the wrong direction and they're not saying anything about it. And so they just end up being mute, angry witnesses to the self-destruction. And I just think that that is a beautiful image and... And the, the you get to that last verse, uh, driving or last chorus, driving sideways, hitting scan on the radio so she can sing along, meaning I'm going to distract myself from your shit. And she'll sit thinking you're going to handle it until she's proven wrong, meaning she's destroying herself, too. And it's, again, the perfect Amy Mann thing to make this beautiful, catchy song about mutually assured destruction. And I love it, again, first place. Mm.
2: And it's probably about her relationship to the music industry, but it still works on that level, so... Yeah, solid choice. I mean,
1: you could actually, I guess, read almost everything on this album as actually being about a relationship to the music industry. And every other album as well. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So anyway, that's my first place. And next we have You Do, which we do have a clip of or don't? Don't. Don't. Okay. I'm just going to quickly say the only reason that this song hit the middle of the pack for me, because I don't really love it that much, but... There is a lyric at the very end that I really like, and it is, you write a little note that you leave on the bed and spend some time dissecting every word he said, and if he seemed a little strange, well, baby, anyone can change, and you do. And I just think that's a really clever lyric of... You think it's going to be that he might change, but nope. you're always the one who's making sacrifices so that he can continue to be a dick and still get someone to suck his dick. And uh, always talking about dicks mm. here on Markets Air Talk About Songs. Yep. But that is um, elevated this slightly soporific song for me, that one lyrical insight. So I put it in seventh place, seven points.
2: This was another song that was just making me want to listen to other earlier, um, more densely embroidered Amy Mann songs. Um, it's fine, but except for the lyric that you cited, the other lyrics seem a little first drafty to me for her anyway. I, I have a, you know, higher bar for her. It's not unpleasant, but it's just kind of a placeholder on this album. It's one that I might skip. Um, so I put it in 10th place, four points.
1: Very fair. The patrons have it in a tie for 11th place, Mm. giving it three points.
2: Nothing is so. good enough for the patrons. Just kidding. Definitely was good enough. Um but about nothing is good enough. This is a funny one because I always forget about this song and then I'm always like surprised at how much I enjoy it. Um but I don't like I don't love the um like the musical sort of vaudeville motif in this one but i like this song fine um it may have benefited from the fact that i was like what is this one and then it's sort of like the best in class of the more fillery songs on this album so i had it right Mm -hmm. in the middle seventh place seven points
1: and i think you've said it perfectly it is a fillery song it's perfectly fine um it is I from my what my research told me explicitly about hating her record label, mm. and this was what was written <laughs> yeah. when they told her that they didn't hear a single on what would eventually become the album Bachelor Number Two. So, yeah, I think it's fine. This is to me for I, it's gonna it, it bounced around in the middle of my rankings. I don't really feel that passionate about it, but I don't hate it because Amy Mann is a genius, and even her mediocre songs are still pretty good. I put it in ninth place, mm. giving it five points, and the patrons put it in 10th place, giving it four points.
2: Nice. All right. Uh, I feel like we already talked a lot about Wise Up, which is next. <laughs> um, we did. So, let's hear a clip.
0: Prepare a list for what you need before you sign away. The D, because
2: There is something about this song that is, like, it just contains multitudes about uh, how grief is experienced alone and communally. Um, mm. That you begin with that very quiet piano. I did not clip from the beginning because I didn't want to be a fucking sobbing mess um, on this podcast. Um, some other time, listeners. Uh, but that piano that opens out onto this aural landscape that seems to be like passing by in a mental bus window of Mm. like just this, there's the isolation of grief at the beginning. And then in the middle, there's this evocation of, uh, you know, with more instrumentation and more voices and harmonies, the, um, the processes of grief or the um, rituals of grief that are done, you know, in community and in concert with other people, but alongside and not necessarily with other people emotionally, um, which is something that you're definitely seeing on screen, but that uh, I imagine listening to this song, the scene just like it writes and shoots itself, because Mm -hmm. it has, um, lyrically, musically, everything is there that, you know, being alone together is in this song. And then she comes back to it at the end, that, that feeling of, um, alienation and just like, I see these people, I'm standing next to these people, I'm sitting on this person's bed, I'm still completely alone. Um... And also there is a hint, and I think that nobody in pop music is better at conveying how much of sadness is rage. Mm. Um, and this is a this is an example. It's not as um, overt, but this this feeling of grieving something that you hate it. Is, is present, which it, it often is in Amy Mann uh, music. I think in this way that is very accepting of the fact that grief is not necessarily a noble state. It just is. Um, and it, it too contains multitudes. Um, this is one of the best songs ever written. It is my number one, 13 points.
1: Ooh, very good, Sarah. That was such a beautiful argument on behalf of that song. Thank you.
2: Um, <laughs> You're I like, I put it in ninth. <laughs> Fuck out of here. The, the, the <laughs> uh, no, it's part. Speaking of, that of the rage that exists alongside grief, <laughs> now we rumble. It's part
1: of that. It's for me part of that six pack of absolutely indispensable mm. songs on this album. Uh, a couple of things I'll just add. I love what you said about great r- rage's proxi- uh, grief's proximity to rage, mm. and I think. Or grieving the thing that you hated. And that is the movie Magnolia Yeah, absolutely. And I always now hear the final note uh, when she sings Give Up in that high voice. I hear the kid singing it in the movie.
2: Yes. Oh, God, yes.
1: Perfectly done, everyone. (laughs) To see this child... Realizing that he's already at a point in his life where he's going to just sing give up in his unchanged prepubescent voice is just fucking devastating. The only other thing I will add is I love the way in the production of this song that the piano, which you can hear very clearly in the clip you pulled, echoes. Yes. And just it's that aural isolation. It's like she's the piano is playing in, a, in an empty hall.
2: Yeah, or the sustain pedal is broken, something. Something is Hey, cheap. I remembered a piano thing. Well done. You're welcome, Dr. Hopper, wherever you are
1: Enjoy. But I um, I put this song in 6th place, which is again, no disrespect to it, and it gave it 8 points. Uh so that's a str- and the patrons put it in 2nd place and gave it 12 points. So that's a strong showing and you and the patrons are feeling each other today. Mm.
2: Well, we'll see if that continues, because we agreed that uh, there was one song. I assume that you're done talking about Wise Up. (laughs) You've wised us up, and now you're going to save us. Uh, The next song is Save Me, and we agreed before doing this ranking that this was probably the, like, um, community clip (laughs) that we would probably both be calling for, so let's just pull it. Um, So... This is fairly classic, Amy Mann, this song. Um the like almost corrosive cynicism of the opening versus lyric is uh, is quite amazing. I'm not sure where you pulled the clip from, though. Did you pull that beginning part or are we in the middle? Uh, I think
1: I th- God, honestly, it's been a while, but I think I'm in I think it's in the middle, actually. Well, let's hear it and then we can continue discussing. You look like
0: Turn up, kid. suspect they could
2: never love i think that's the lyric i was talking about it is um, and
1: i realized now i of course that's the clip i pulled that line is that might actually be the most amy man line that amy man has ever written
2: unless it's a line from later in the song the long farewell of the hunger strike yeah.
1: this is <laughs> yes. definitely
2: written for her record company and this is such like um this is such classic Amy Mann, like that extremely sweet high vocal at a pH of like negative seven. Yes. Perfect. And that very nineties, but also timeless like bell tone guitar and the crisp acoustic track. I, I mean, this is a great song. There are other songs that, um, yank me on the heartstrings more here, but I mean, number three, 11 points. This is a great song.
1: I also put this in third place, and the patrons put it in second place. So mm, okay. there we go. Um, I think that this song is so brilliant because it's about as close as Amy Mann ever gets to a love song. Yeah,
2: I know. Like, and, and yet, it, there's that like yogurty smell. With it yeah. that you're like, yeah. it's it's really not possible for her to be like, hey. Like she just she can't do it, and I respect that. It's why when we love her. she
1: tells you that she might love you, it's because you might be a last ditch effort to stanch her bleeding, <laughs> and that you might, in that battlefield way, be able to save her from the ranks of the freaks who suspect that they can never love anyone. And also, you, it's transactional. Yeah, like
2: like is is it love or? is does this have a price totally yeah
1: like i basically just need you to help me prove to myself that i am a human being that's why you're here that's why i'm loving you i'm not going to think through too much about what that might mean about me except yes i am because then i'm going to be referring to this as a hunger strike later (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know like how many references to like horrible wasting deaths
1: are there in the song well and then in the bridge when it's super romantic about the effect that the lover has on her you struck me dumb like radium great you singed my tongue out of my mouth
2: yeah and you know like you ever think michael penn is like <laughs> don't thank me please. (laughs) He's like, Oh fuck. It's Valentine's
1: day. (laughs) She's like, I got you something. He's like, Oh, roadkill again. Cool. I remember when Amy Mann released a Christmas album back in when I had a, um, I had a pop music blog about 10 years ago called the critical, um, Nope. Called. I totally hear that. Mm. My God. So many blogs ago (laughs) on, I totally hear that. I did a, an, a post about the year in sad Christmas because uh, Annie Lennox and Amy Mann released Christmas albums at the same time. And I was like, this is the saddest fucking Christmas of all time. (laughs) But I love that she did it anyway. Oh my God. Um, also this song clearly should have won the Oscar. Phil Collins has had great songs, but none of those great songs are in the film Tarzan. Correct. Um, so, Oh, also, I hadn't watched the music video for this in such a long time, and I learned in doing research that Amy Mann was on set with the actors from the film. So she was not digitally superimposed into the scenes when she's sitting next to them singing the song. She is with them in the room, and you can really tell, I think, in the music video that Julianne Moore, Tom Cruise, they're all there with her. It gives this electricity to the video that I really like. hmm now that takes us out of the Amy Mann portion of our album and into <laughs> Buckle up. And, in, and into the strange hinterlands of the back third of the album. Um, first up is the first of two nine-hour Super Tramp songs that are on this album. <laughs> uh, and honestly, nine hours might be undercutting it. It's mm. Goodbye Stranger, a song that I feel mystified by. I think this song would be okay if it were three minutes long, but it's like so fucking long and there are not enough musical ideas to sustain the length. It's just like goodbye stranger. But, and it's just that for like seven minutes. I can't take it. So I find this song to be a sketch that somehow got turned into a painting mm-hmm. and I put it in second place. Uh, 12, no, no inverse 12th place. Sec two points.
2: Um, I didn't clock it. I don't really have anything to say about it qua song. I will say that this, taken with the other Super Tramp song, I think is a, for PTA, quite subtle um, comment slash parallel of the material in the 90s part of the soundtrack and the film um, that there is, I think the same search for meaning in the opaque structures of the industry. That is something that super tramp is talking about much more in the next song. Um, but goodbye stranger is definitely this, like we've had a lot of cocaine and we're just going to jam, like please stop jamming, go somewhere else, take a nap. Um, so I had this at uh, number nine. Five points.
1: All right, and the patrons actually had it tied for second place. Huh. So God love you guys. I am. I, I'm surprised, but I support and honor you.
2: Mm. I now, mean, I was- look, Roger Hodgson. We get it. You have a rhyming dictionary. Um, (laughs) Were you a bigger fan of Logical Song?
1: Yes, I have much more room in my heart for Logical Song because I think that the storytelling in Logical Song is more coherent and interesting. It's one of those many songs Mm -hmm. uh, that pop music has written about the uselessness of education, how all they teach you is to be a drone or a machine. You can hear Pink Floyd basically mm. gearing up to sing along with them. Uh, yeah. I, this song was also Super Tramp's biggest hit in the United States. It reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100 in the 70s. I, I was obsessed prepare- with it as a child. This song or, that, or Super Tramp in general?
2: this song. I loved yeah. it. Because it was like, it was like a lot of big words and there was rhyming and presentable a vegetable and it's yeah. like existential <laughs> crises for casual coke users, but also fun for fifth grader or first graders to sing along to. Like, alright. Yes. Well done, Super Tramp. So I put this in eighth
1: place and gave it six points.
2: Um, I put it in sixth place and gave it eight
1: points. Yes. And the patrons put it in seventh place and gave it seven points. So
2: Okay, so we're all... We're all alone together in the middle of this song.
1: And that oh now takes us to the song that is playing in the car every time Wizkid kid Donnie Smith is shown driving around in Magnolia. That's mm. William H. Macy before he upended America's education system to get his <laughs> shitty daughter into college or whatever he did. Um, uh, sorry, distracted by current events. It <laughs> is the song Dreams by Gabrielle, and it is the least like every other song on the soundtrack, of any song on the soundtrack. Um, it is a very much the cheese stands alone one of these things is not like the other, but here is a little taste of Dreams by Gabrielle.
0: Maybe step closer You know that I want you, I can tell by your eyes that you want me to Just a question time. Do knew we be together, and that you'd be mine, I want you here forever, do you hear what I'm saying, gotta say how I feel, I can't believe it, but I know that you're real, I know what I want, and baby, it's you, can't deny my feelings, because they are true, yeah,
1: I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this. Okay, so in the summer of 99, before Magnolia came out, I studied abroad in England, and during that summer... Gabrielle released a song called Rise, which is this fucking great song that is built off of a hook from Knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan. It is an inspirational song in the mold of You Gotta Be by Desree, which we've talked about in our 100th episode Surprise Spectacular. It's in the mold of Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield, and it was everywhere in the summer of 99. It was a number one hit for good old Gabrielle. And I just could not get enough of this song. As I'm talking to you, I realize that I may have misremembered this song may actually have come out in the year 2000. It wasn't a hit in England until 2000. I don't know why I have misremembered it, because mainly because Gabrielle was only ever popular in England. Actually, God knows how I ever even heard this song, because I wasn't in England in the year 2000. But whatever. Somehow I heard this song. I fell in love with it. I was one of the three Americans, I think, who ever bought the album Rise by Gabrielle. It's so good. It has so many good, smooth r jams on it. And along the way, somewhere in that mix of me falling in love with Gabrielle's... Uh, smoky voiced jams is when I became really aware of this soundtrack. Dreams had been a minor hit in America in the mid nineties. I had not heard it at the time. Uh, Now I became very aware of it. I have loved it ever since. I also love the Gabrielle song out of reach. That's on the soundtrack for Bridget Jones's diary. I just have a real soft spot for Gabrielle. She has an issue with one of her eyes where the eyelid droops. So she often wears an eye patch, which I also love. Um, I, this song is not that musically innovative. It has a cheap sounding Casio, which I know we've talked about many times. <laughs> and yet, here my heart is beating for it all the same. Fourth place, 10 points. Mark. You put it in last place, didn't you? You hate it. Let me read to you my notes.
2: <laughs> Such a flashback to the 90s. What even is this song doing here? Is it for cynical contrast a la the Supertramp tracks? Dot, dot, dot. Two stars. I bet Paul Thomas Anderson asked Amy Mann, pick a song that is what the record company wants you to be, and I will put it on the soundtrack as a joke. New paragraph. This song is such average pablum, the poor cousin of Desiree's You Gotta Be. (laughs) And yet, I love it. I missed it. Number four.
1: Ten <gasps> points! Sarah! Oh, I feel like we should run toward each other in a field and spin around.
2: <laughs> and then we crash and I get a bloody nose. Totally. Into it. Let's do it anyway. Yay! Oh, my gosh. And you I mean, even poor cousins of You Gotta Be are still cousins of You Gotta Be.
1: Yeah. And I think that you're probably right about everything you just said. And yet, here we still are. Fourth I don't place. Ca- fuck it. Good
2: for you. And, like, it really is... This relief, like you've gone through this sort of grieving process of alienation that is unresolved with Amy Mann, because Amy Mann, and then you have this like flashback to the 70s where it's like, we're still dealing with unresolved grief, but we have so many narcotics in our system, so we don't give a shit. (laughs) And then there's this, and it's like, hey remember actual pop from this time that wants you to maybe feel good about things. I will also note, and I can't swear to this, that I'm pretty sure as that last crane shot is pulling out of Donna and David's wedding in the Beverly Hills, 90210 finale that this shit is playing.
1: Yes, that sounds right.
2: Still don't hate it. Still number four. the mean, patrons
1: put it though? They put it square in the middle in sixth place with six mm. points. Which- I'll allow it. I understand, but I yeah. I completely agree with you. You know what? Like you said, even poor cousins of you got to be still sound like you got to be. Yeah, it's fine. Um, then that brings us to our final track, the instrumental Ew. Magnolia by John Bryan. I have literally nothing to say about it. I basically left it unranked, but still put it in last place. It's just like Same. it's just there. It's just who some notes.
2: cares? Yeah, this. Um, there are some little. Um, Aural, like, not Easter eggs exactly, but like, they're occasional, like, circus ish, vaudeville ish, aural um, notes in various um, of the Amy Mann tracks that I'm not crazy about and haven't aged well. And they're all, I think they must all be John Bryan, and they're all, like, visited upon this song that so- sounds like it should be in a short animated film about John Wayne Gacy, and I'm not a fan, Last Place.
1: Agreed. And John Bryan would go on to make, with Fiona Apple, some incredible music. Oh, John
2: Bryan's legit, but like it was the late 90s, and not all of us were acquitting ourselves in a timeless fashion at all times, present company certainly included.
1: Yeah, uh, the patrons, it got one vote, um, which was enough to make it a tie for 11th place, because three songs only got one vote. So that's three points from them. Mm. Five points (laughs) No need to keep you in suspense. That means that Magnolia, the instrumental, is our last place finisher. Mm. Next to last place is Build That Wall, which I feel is appropriate, with nine points. Mm -hmm. And then in third to last, or second to last place, with 14 points, is You Do. Mm. That feels correct. Yeah. Uh, And then in third place, with 33 points, is Wise Up which I think is nice. And then tied for first with 34 points is uh, both Deathly and Save Me. Okay. I feel good about that. Yeah, me too. And and you know what? A strong showing from Gabrielle with 26 (laughs) points. She is far and away the highest point getter of the non-Amy Mann (laughs) artists on the album.
2: I love that we were exactly... Um, aligned with that to the point where you're like, so, you know, it's sort of the spiritual air of Desiree. I'm like, I am now going to have to read all my notes, (laughs) because...
1: We were speaking the same language. (laughs) Every now and then,
2: in the uh, overlap section of that Venn diagram, uh, there is joy. Um, Well, this was really fun. Um, Listeners, don't forget that uh, your participation in these rankings is a key part of it, at least for us. Um... It it always has me in suspense. And if you want to join in, uh, hit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I never yes. remember what the actual <laughs> URL is. is. I'm like, is this a talk songs thing? No. Um, and thank you, uh, Patreon supporters who did participate. This was a great deal of fun.
0: All still on their Just read the dialogue, we'll Everyone loves you. Why should they not?
2: Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash And as always, thank you for listening.
0: It's fun and games until it's clear you haven't got the skill in keeping the